you're visiting with us, we're certainly glad to have you because we haven't had very many visitors lately. <laughs> it's good to be here this morning worshiping God together and for those who are home uh, able to watch this, we're glad they're with us this morning. Just want to mention today is our special giving day, and and like uh, Jerry said last week, well, there's always something that comes up. When you have a building, a property of this size, there's always uh, things that we have to do, so we uh, do our special giving that we're able to do that. Also, we have several who are, who are sick. Uh, uh, Carol Galloway, she's back in the hospital. She's had a uh, temporary uh, pacemaker put in, and then Monday she's going to uh, have a regular pacemaker put in, and they're still working on her infection. It's not completely gone, so we need to continue to pray for Carol. And the last I heard yesterday evening, Eloise Hayes is still in the hospital. Does anybody know? Did she get out? Well, I heard that she could possibly get out, and I didn't know. So good good so Eloise is at home we want to continue to pray for Eloise and uh, continue to pray for Frank Garlic uh, he has uh, he's having a hard time and let's remember that family in our prayers and and also th this past week uh, there was uh, we've had uh, a few members lose some loved ones and, and and we need to continue to pray for Walt Baker and his family passing of his dad and Tanya Parker's uncle passed away and Jim Haney's sister-in-law and if there's any more I, I don't know of it but uh, we want to continue to pray for them and Larry Zimmerman uh, he's he's got some uh, uh, cancer problem back again and, and he's going to be having some more tests and they want to see how they uh, how they're going to treat Larry so we need to pray for Larry Zimmerman also uh, I have a uh, sister that uh, went to the hospital this morning. She has COVID. She, pneumonia's got in her lungs, so, and her husband has it. So I ask you to pray for Susie Picker. It's hard for me to say. It's, a, it's a Susie Picker. And uh, my, uh, my other sister's father-in-law, they took him to the hospital this morning. His name is Bob Stife, and they live in Columbus. He's had a... Uh, some type of stroke so if you would keep that family in your prayers uh, one more thing next week we uh, we've been talking about maybe uh, meeting next Sunday and we're going to watch how things go this week and we've been thinking about maybe calling off services from the 20th to January the 17th now that's not that's not a final thing. It's something that we're going to talk about and and uh, see how go, how things go this week because the spread of the virus is really bad in this area. And then with Christmas coming up, people's going to do Christmas and they're going to travel and they're going to visit. So we want to do the right thing. We know we've got to put God first, but we have to be safe for a while longer too. So. But we don't know. We'll just we'll let you know next Sunday what's going to happen. So if there isn't anything else, uh, let's go to God in prayer. Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you, Father, that we are able to be here this morning. And we pray you'll continue to bless us. And 
watch over us, Father. And, uh, help us, Father, to be safe. And Father, but we do realize that, uh, that we need to continue to serve you. If we're not able to meet here, Father, we need to, to read our Bibles at home. We, we, we need to uh, talk to those who we can maybe have some lessons and father the opportunities that we have if we can uh, watch it on the uh, the phone tv computer whatever that may be father we pray that we do that and we continue to do that and and remember father that our souls are are a lot more important than, than our physical lives and uh, but father we just pray that you'll be with us in the decisions that we make we are mindful father of those who have lost loved ones uh, this past week or so. Father, we just pray that you will bless them and those that were mentioned here this morning. We pray that you'll comfort them, give them peace in only a way that you can at this hard time. And Father, for those, uh, uh, Carol Galloway, we pray you'll continue to bless Carol, Father, and uh, that she will get better and, and uh, her uh, treatments tomorrow will, will go good, Father, the procedure and and Father, we pray for Clinton. Clinton's been having some problems, and, and he's having tests run, has more tests next week. And we just pray that you'll bless that family, Father. And Father, we pray for Frank Garlic, that you will continue to be with him and watch over him. And Father, we pray for uh, Larry Zimmerman with uh, the problems that, that he has and, and uh, with what's coming up, Father, his, uh, his procedures and whatever they... they uh, decide to do for him we pray that you'll bless the doctors and uh, bless him and uh, becky father and watch over them we ask that you'll be with my sister susie that uh, father you'll be with the doctors treating her and father that uh, she'll be better and be with her husband father joe and and uh, and be with uh, bob stye father that uh, that you will bless and comfort him and father we uh, pray this morning uh, as we uh, Worship you that we will forget everything, Father, and, and, and put you on our minds during this next 40 minutes or so, Father, and, and, and worship you in a way that uh, you would want us to do. And, Father, we pray for our special giving this morning. We're thankful for those who are able to give, and, and, and we pray that you'll bless it, Lord, and, and that we will use it in a way that, that will edify you, Father, and, uh, and strengthen the church and, and, and our community. We thank you so much for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Let's all please stand. We'll sing hymn number 156. 156. For Christ in the church, there are voices. Praise that us all through the name of the Lord, bless the King. Let us work with the in the strength of you. And loyally stand for the kingdom of truth. Yeah. 
him this morning, number 291. 291, I know not why my God's, why God's wondrous grace. <clears throat> After this hand, Brother Jason Stevens will have our scripture and our prayer.
Good morning. Our reading this morning will be from Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Hebrews 4, 12. <clears throat> For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword, piercing even to the point of dividing soul from spirit and joints from marrow. It is able to judge the desires and thoughts of the heart. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for this day that you've given to us. We thank you for the opportunity to come and worship you. We pray that our worship will be in truth and in spirit. Lord, we pray that you will continue to be with our congregation. We pray that you will help us to continue to grow together. And Lord, we pray that you will keep us healthy. We pray that you will be with all those who are on the front lines fighting our not only our virus, but other health care issues that are complicated because of the virus, Lord. We pray that you will be with those who are making decisions. We pray that you'll help us to make good decisions, Lord. And we pray that you will give us wisdom and courage. And we pray that you will heal our nation and heal the world as soon as, as we can, Lord. And we just pray that you will continue to watch over us, continue to be with uh, those as they are traveling. Um, we pray that you'll be with our families, watch over us, and we pray that you will help us to always look to you for strength and guidance. Lord we, Lord, we pray for forgiveness. We pray that you will continue to be with us now as we continue in worship and that we may do so in a way that is pleasing unto you and uplifting to, uh, to us as well. And it's through Jesus we pray. Amen. Number 495, 495, of the depth and the riches. Oh, the depth and the riches of God's saving grace, flowing down from the cross for thee.
the uh, current situation that we're in with the, the pandemic and the regulations and some of the common sense uh, actions that have been put in place, some of it not so common sense, but either way, we are where we are. And one of the things that has been given up or, or lessened to a degree has been Thanksgiving. And then they're talking about coming up on Christmas. And I know that there are still celebrations of Thanksgiving and there are still celebrations of, will be celebrations of Christmas, but it is lessened to some degree in that there are family members that aren't present. There are people who are staying away, people who will not gather in groups in order to celebrate those seasons. And we lose something from that. Because I don't know what it is, but somewhere God put it in us that a meal draws us closer. If we can share a meal, it draws us together. And I can think of memories from when I was a kid and growing up, and even when I've been an adult, of special times there at Thanksgiving dinner and at Christmas dinner. And sometimes it was the last dinner that I ever got to spend with that person. I pray that that's not the case this year. I pray that we will continue to be able to spend time together, be able to spend time at dinner, fellowship, enjoying each other's company. God put it that way, and there's a benefit to it. The Greek word, and if I can get this right, koinonia, means communion. And the definition is participation and fellowship of other things. When God instituted his supper, there were many things that came from that. When Jesus, the, the night before his crucifixion, instituted this, it wasn't just a one-fold meaning. There wasn't just one benefit from it. The benefits were many. One, of course, were to remember the sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalf. The body that was broken and beaten the blood that was shed on our behalf. We're to remember that, and we're to show that through this communion, through this Lord's table, his death until he comes back. We're to show that we believe. We're to show people outside that, that this is real. He is coming back, and he did die for us. We're to focus evaluate and recalibrate and purify. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 27 and 28. The Bible says, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this drink, bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself and, let him, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Jesus knew that we needed a reset. Jesus needed, knew that we needed something that would stop us from everything else that's going on in our lives to concentrate fully and wholly on that sacrifice and on our total relying on him for our salvation. We take this time to refocus, to repurify, to, to look at our lives, examine ourselves, see where we have faltered through the last week, Hopefully we've corrected that before now, but if not, this is the time because this is to correct it before you take this bread in this cup. 1 Corinthians 10, 21 says, You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of the devils. You cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and of the table of devils. 
we need to make sure that we are where we need to be when we take this feast. And finally, it was designed to commune with him, but not only him, but with each other. Because we are to, at this time, draw closer to the fact that we are all in this together. That we all have the same faith. That there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism. That we all are on the same path, the same journey. And just like, although those paths and those journeys are different, this was not designed to be, this feast, this was not designed to fill our bellies, but to fill our spirit. And it wasn't designed to be taken, if I can say, like a restaurant at different tables, but at one table together. Because this is when we practice and observe the unity that we have and that common goal that, number one, we live a life pleasing to God and Christ, and number two, that we enter the gates of heaven after this life is over. These things are important. There's a lot that goes into this when we do this every week. Sometimes we become complacent with it. Sometimes we've got things that are going on in our lives. But this right here, in my opinion, is the holiest, most reverent time that we've got in every week. And we need to deserve that like that. We go to God with me in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, dear Lord, we come before you as humbly as we know how. Dear Heavenly Father, so very thankful for everything that you've bestowed upon us, dear Lord. We are blessed beyond measure, dear Heavenly Father, both with the things of this world, the, the blessings that you give us, the, the things that we have in our lives. But we are blessed with family, we're blessed with friends, and we're blessed with a, a godly family, dear Heavenly Father, that you instituted, not us, dear Heavenly Father, and you put together, not us. We are so thankful for this opportunity to gather around this table, dear Heavenly Father, and we celebrate, remember, the sacrifice that made eternal life possible for us, dear Heavenly Father. Dear Lord, we ask that you be with us as we partake this bread that symbolizes that body that was given on our behalf, dear Heavenly Father. Let us examine ourselves, correct what we need to, and let us take it in a manner that's pleasing to you. In your Son's precious name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. This bread that we partake and this fruit of the vine that we take are merely emblems that were instituted to represent the body of Christ. The body that they beat, and they tortured, and they mocked and humiliated. And then the blood. The blood that flowed freely so that you and I might have hope. I can't help but get to this point every week and think about that blood that was given on my behalf. Not only the blood from the wounds on his hands and his, knee, and his feet, but the blood that rolled down off of the brow and off of his nose from the crown of thorns that they mocked him with. And at any time that he could have, it amazes me, at any time he could have ended it, 
I can't imagine the suffering and the pain and yet having the ability to walk away from it, choosing not to. Totally and 100% for the sake of love. Will you bow with me, please? Dear Heavenly Father, dear Lord, we continue our prayer. Dear Lord, we ask that you bless us through the vine. Dear Lord, it represents that precious blood that flowed on our behalf. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for the for the sacrifice and, and thankful for the love, dear Heavenly Father, that, that Jesus showed for us, you showed for us through that sacrifice, dear Heavenly Father, making a way for us when we couldn't make it for ourselves. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask that you bless us as we partake of this through the vine, dear Heavenly Father, may we do so in a manner that's pleasing to you. In your Son's precious name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. This concludes the, the communion, the Lord's table, but we have a different, uh, another commandment, and that's to lay by in store. If we were to take time throughout our day, I can remember when I was a child that uh, every year at this time of the year we would go through the Sears catalog and we'd make our wish list of what we wanted, and we would fill up papers after papers of all the things that we wanted in there. It was easy to find the things that we want, but it's harder sometimes to remember the things to be thankful for, the things you've been blessed with. And if we would write, take the time to write down the blessings that we have in our lives, it would take us quite a while. The Lord has been so good to all of us, no matter where we're at. He provides all that we have, and we need to remember that always. This is a time when we are to lay by in store to give back a portion of that which he's bestowed upon us and to give back with a cheerful and, and, and happy heart. Um, normally we would have people that would uh, pass the plate around. We don't have that right now. We have uh, the receptacles there in the back, the yellow um, buckets that uh, you can leave your offering. But we did want to take this time to, to give thanks for those things that God's given us. Will you bow with me, please? Dear Heavenly Father, dear Lord, we come before you once again, humbly, dear Heavenly Father, in that knowing that you have rained down on us blessings, dear Heavenly Father, as individuals, but as Americans, as, as your children, dear Heavenly Father, you bless us every single day. Dear Heavenly Father, we, on this day when we, the elders have set aside that, uh, that this is the day for the special offering, we ask that you be with us as we give, dear Heavenly Father. May we may do so in a, with a joyful heart, dear Heavenly Father, and a giving spirit, dear Heavenly Father. And we ask that you... You be with those that decide where those funds go, dear Heavenly Father, that they make a difference in, in furthering your kingdom every single day. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so humbled by your, your gifts and your generosity, dear Lord. We ask that you be with us always. Guide, guard, and direct us in your Son's precious name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's all please stand again. We'll sing hymn number nine. Hymn, hymn number nine, a wonderful Savior. <clears throat> we'll sing the first, second, and last verse. How wonderful Savior is Jesus my Lord. How wonderful Savior is Jesus my Lord. 
Invitation hymn this morning, number 207, 207, Hark the Gentle Voice, this time for the crest. And this is an old year, so I don't know who that is. Good morning. When I wear my glasses, my... grateful for your love for us. Bless our study this morning. Continue to watch over us. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Like I said, you find this parable in Matthew as well as in Mark. But Mark's going to use this parable for his own purposes. Um, you are familiar with how Mark is a little bit of a different gospel than Matthew. He's got different purposes. Uh, Mark is all about showing you who Jesus is and then forcing you to make a decision. You cannot read through the Gospel of Mark and sit on the fence. Uh, last week, two weeks ago, we kind of in, uh, ran up against the Pharisees trying to do that exact thing. They wanted to see Jesus, hear his teaching, see his miracles, and not make a decision on who he is. And they couldn't do it. It's impossible. They actually ended up making a decision against Jesus and working with their arch nemesis, 
uh, for lack of a better term, the Herodians, looking for a way to discredit Jesus. So they had made a decision about him already. You can't read through Mark and not make a decision about who Jesus is. Mark will not allow that. So this morning, as we walk through this parable of the sower, again, it's something that I'm sure that you're familiar with. Kind of open up your eyes, stretch out your understanding this morning of this parable. And I think Mark has a very powerful point for us today. Uh, Like I said, if you read through Mark chapter 4, this is pretty well caught up with these three different parables. He's going to explain the parable of the sower in Mark, just like he does in Matthew. Uh, If you go back through and you put these accounts side by side, you won't see any differences. They are... Almost the exact same. But he's going to explain this parable of the sower. And then these next two parables, he doesn't explain. The parable of the seed growing and the parable of the mustard seed, he just kind of leaves out there. Now, that's kind of interesting, right? So why would he do that? Why would he do that? Well, look down to uh, verse 10. Mark chapter 4, verse 10. He's already given the parable of the sower. He's not explained it yet, but that's coming Uh, in the following verses, but listen to why he teaches in parables. Because that's the the question we're kind of talking about now. Why why are you doing this? Why why teach in stories? The apostles had the same question. Verse 10 helps us answer that question. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you it's been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything comes in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive. And they may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. It's kind of interesting, right? So why does he teach in parables? Well, he teaches in parables to force you to dig. Everybody ever tell you a story, and a week or two, a, a month or two, a year or two later, you start thinking about that story. Like, it's kind of easy to remember, right? That's, that's the good thing about stories. That's one of the reasons why Jesus taught using stories and parables. Because while you're tilling up your own garden, you could be thinking about this parable of the sower. It would come readily to mind, right? When you were walking to Jerusalem and you would look across the way and you'd see somebody tilling up their field, that story Jesus told about the parable of the sower, this guy that was walking out, just casting out seed wherever, that would, that would come in your mind and you would start, you'd start chewing on it again. You'd start thinking about it and you're like, what did he mean by that? And then I remember he told this parable right after that one about the seed growing. That was very, very odd. That I, don't, I don't really, I remember the story, but I don't really know what he meant by that. And then you would think, well, he told this other story about this tiny little seed. It was a mustard seed. And that thing grew up and it became this massive tree. What did he mean by those stories? And it, it forces you to chew on it, to spend some time with it. We would say uh, a Bible term for that is meditate, right? Everyday common English, we chew on things, yeah? Bible term is meditate. And so he starts talking about, well, you need to think through these things. You need to chew on it, meditate on these things. And if you will, if you're willing to put in the work of, uh, of thinking through these, this teaching, God will bless you. He'll give you more understanding. That's kind of fun, right? So this whole parable of the sower thing is very, 
is very interesting uh, for us. Like I said, Matthew uses the exact same parable. Matthew's going to use it as an evangelistic uh, tent. He wants you to, to be thinking about as you go, as you lead your life, as you go through the supermarket and as you talk to your neighbors and things like that, be looking for good soil. Now, you cast the seed everywhere you go, right? That's what the sower does. He's indiscriminate. He doesn't look for the good ground. He teaches the truth wherever he goes, right? Cast the seed wherever. And some of it falls on good soil. Some of it falls on less than good soil. But that's kind of what we do. When we approach Matthew's parable of the sower, we take away from that parable the fact that we just need to teach everyone. Good soil, bad soil, it's not for us to decide whether they're good or bad soil. It's for us to teach. We got that. Mark's point actually goes back to the man with a withered hand in the previous chapter, in Mark chapter 3. If you remember that story, Jesus is in the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he sees a guy, maybe he's across the way, this guy doesn't ask for healing, but he's got a paralyzed hand. And Jesus sees this guy across the way in the synagogue, and he says, hey, come here. I'm paraphrasing. Go back and read the story for yourself. Mark chapter 3. Uh, and Jesus says, hey, come here. And he kind of looks sidelong at the Pharisees because he knows what they're thinking. Mark has already introduced that topic, that, that uh, concept for us because he's already read the Pharisees' minds and told them what they're thinking and then rebutted their theology, right? In Mark chapter 3. It's kind of amazing. Mark chapter 4 is good too. Um, but... So he sees this man with a withered hand, looks over the Pharisees, knows what they're thinking. They're thinking, is he really going to heal this guy on the Sabbath day? Because that's illegal. Now, is it against God's law? Nope. Is it against their law? Yep. And that's what they're really concerned about. They don't want him butting up against their laws. They're in charge. This is their kingdom. Oh, wait. No, it's not. This is God's kingdom. And they are the ones who have hijacked it. And Jesus is coming back to take the kingdom back away from these uh, usurpers, for lack of a better term. So he heals the man with a withered hand. And at that point, the Pharisees have made their decision. Along with the scribes, they are against Jesus. And they're going to do whatever they have to to discredit him. What kind of soil are the Pharisees? Where are their hearts at? Are they good soil? Rocky soil, thorny soil, the path. Well, they're on the path, right? Their, their hearts are so hard that even though they have all of the evidence that Jesus really is who he says he is, uh, even they've noted that you can't teach, no one else has at least, taught the things that Jesus is teaching in the way that Jesus teaches them. It's phenomenal. They are flabbergasted. They're astounded at his teaching because he teaches with such authority. But also, they're astounded, amazed by his miraculous power. Even the scribes who come down from Jerusalem have to attribute his power to something. They can't deny his power. They just attribute it to Satan rather than God. And so, these guys' hearts are hard. They're, they're the soil that's on, or they're the, they're the, their hearts are on the path. It's the hard, packed-down soil, you know, that even though they have all the evidence, the truth won't sink down into their hearts. If you got your um, copy of the bulletin this morning on the front page, I put a little uh, article there talking about hearts and some questions there that I'd like you to run through this week that I think will be beneficial for you. But uh, read through that and, and try, to, try to find people in Scripture whose 
hearts match up to the different types of soils that you find here in this, this parable of the sower. But the Pharisees' hearts, they're hard. Even though they've seen all the evidence, they won't, it just won't sink down into their hearts. They won't allow it. Why? Well, because this is their kingdom and they're going to keep it. No matter what it costs them to keep, to maintain their death grip on Israel, they're going to keep this. And if it demands killing an innocent man, they're okay with that. That's what it's going to come down to. So their hearts, their hearts are hard. Throughout this parable, Jesus is not telling you to look at other people's hearts. You're not trying to self-diagnose, or you're not trying to uh, diagnose other people's hearts. You're trying to diagnose your own heart. In Matthew, you're looking at other people's hearts. That's what, he, that's what he tries to teach with the parable. There's lots of different soils and you know, people are going to accept the word or not. And you as the evangelist kind of cast out the soul no matter what kind of soil you're, you're casting it on. But in Mark he says, well, there's different kinds of soils. There's different kinds of hearts. Some people accept. Some people don't. Some people do, but then fall away very quickly. And so he says, what kind of soil are you? Remember, Mark is forcing you to make a decision. He demands that you make a decision on who Jesus is. And this parable is right at the very center of Mark's claim, his cry to you. Make a decision. Who is Jesus? What kind of soil are you? Look through these soils and, and honestly be, be honest with yourself. What kind of soil are you? Diagnose your own heart. Are you the path? Thorny ground? Rocky ground? Good soil. So which one are you? The next parable he tells is this really interesting parable about the seed growing. All three of these parables are connected. They don't all mean the same things, but they're all in the same line of thought. So we've already seen with the parable of the sower, we have to diagnose our own hearts. We look inward. Instead of outward, we look inward. And we, we honestly, we take a good, long, hard look at where our hearts are. And we say, well, what do I spend all my time on? Maybe that's a pretty good way to figure out where our hearts are. You know what the Pharisees spent all their time on? Looking for a way to, dis to discredit Jesus. Even though they'd seen all the evidence, they were looking for a way to discredit Jesus. And so it's a pretty good way for me to figure out what my heart is, what kind of soul my heart is. Where do I spend all my time? If I spend all my time in this book, if I spend a lot of my time in prayer, if I spend my time surrounded by members of uh, the church here, if I spend my time working through the spiritual disciplines, looking for ways to be generous, looking for ways to be kind, or do I spend my, my life doing something else, anything else, that anything else will crowd out this. If you go back through and you look at this parable of the seed growing, uh, let's just read it. It's, it's very short. He says in verse 26, it's Mark 4, verse 26, he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. Now, stop right there because we have to go back through and remember what is the seed. Well, in these parables, in these three parables, the seed is the word of God, right? And what's the soil? Our hearts. Okay. Verse 27, he says, He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. When the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. This is talking about the process of growth. The process of growth. 
Uh, so if you write in your Bibles, maybe, maybe mark a line for the parable of the sower and talk about which soil am I. Uh, it's, a, it's a self-diagnosis. It's a, it's a parable that helps me diagnose my own heart. If you write in your Bibles, maybe make a little line right here at the parable of the seed growing. And this talks about the process of growth. Am I willing to put in the work to be who I want to, to be who God wants me to be, to be who I need to be? This doesn't happen just by happenstance. You are not going to become the Christian you need to be just by, if, if the only time you open this book and think spiritual thoughts or when you come to this building, it's not going to cut it. It's not going to work. You're not going to grow like you should. Like Gary was saying this morning in the opening, that takes time on your own. Reading through Scripture, praying, Surrounding yourself with like-minded people uh, who are forcing you, like Mark, to make a decision on who Jesus is. Here in, in this parable of the seed growing, he says uh, the guy sleeps, he rises at, uh, at night and day, and the, spree, the seed sprouts and grows. He doesn't know how. So if you put in the work, what happens? Well, God grows you. He starts transforming you more and more into the image of Christ, doesn't he? Do you understand how that works? If you do, see me after services because I want to know. I don't understand how that functions. I know it does. Right? I know it does. And is it important that I understand all the particulars of how that functions? No, it doesn't matter. It's kind of like the farmer with, with seed. Do you have to really grab a hold of how that works? Yeah. It's not really all that important, is it? The important thing is that it actually works. When you plant the seed, the seed grows. Do you have to know all the botany and all that stuff and how that functions? Nah, it doesn't matter. The important thing is that he puts in the work. He will transform us as long as we're putting in the work ourselves. He'll hold up his end of the deal as long as we hold up ours. Right? That's the process of growth. You want to put in the work. You want to grow mature inside of Christ, it takes time. It takes time. Some of us want it right now, right? Maybe when you were younger, especially when you were younger probably, uh, you wanted it right now. I want to be able to understand this passage, and if I can't understand it right now, I, I get a little frustrated, right? You ever been there? Maybe some of us that are older are, are in that same boat. I want to understand right now, and I just can't grab a hold of it. Maybe it's not a passage. Maybe it's a, a, a point uh, of practicality. Why is this thing happening, right? I think we've all asked that this year. And if I can't grab a hold of it right now, I get a little frustrated, right? Stick with it. That, I think that's Mark's um, encouragement to us. Stick with it. So he says, this is how he puts, stick with it. Um, it's in verse 28. The earth produces by itself. And by itself is kind of a misnomer. He's saying automatically. It happens automatically. Uh, first the blade. He says there's a process. First the blade. And if you guys have ever, you ever grown a garden and you went out to the garden and you're like, I don't see anything. <laughs> we planted a garden the last couple of years and my kids will do that. Uh, we'll plant the, we'll plant the, uh, the seeds and especially Titus will go out there and he plants these massive sunflowers. And uh, he's done it the last several years. But he'll put the seed in there and he'll go out like next day or next week and be like, 
I don't see anything. Like, well, yeah, but it's just, it takes a process, right? It takes a little bit of time for this to happen. That's exactly what Mark is saying. He says, you know, first the blade, then the ear, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. There's a process to this growth thing. It doesn't happen very quickly. It takes a little bit of time. So stick with it. Don't get frustrated. Uh, Paul in Galatians 6 and 9 would say, don't grow weary of doing good things, right? If we put in the work to grow, guess what will happen? God will hold up his end of the deal, and he'll start transforming us more and more into the image of Christ. We get frustrated, or we get um, lazy, and we don't put in the hard work, what happens? There's no transformation, because we didn't hold up our end of the deal. So, what kind of seed, what kind of soil are you? Are you good, or are you not so good? Second thing is, have you put in the work? Listen to this third parable, the parable of the mustard seed. We don't have time to run through this parable, to read through all of it. But you, I'm sure you are aware of how this parable goes. Jesus says there's, you know, there's this tiny little seed. And if you've ever, you should go home and Google mustard seed. These things are tiny. And then go home and, and, uh, and Google mustard tree or bush. I don't know what it, the technical term for that thing is. Remember, botany's not my strong suit, but... He says, this tiny little seed, I mean, you could hold 500 of them in the palm of your hand. He says, this thing grows up into a massive tree so big that birds can come and rest in its shade. Multiple birds can build nests in this massive tree. So he says, essentially, don't allow any of this other stuff to get in your way. When we plant, when we plant uh, our garden... We plant Titus's sunflowers back in the back. You know why? Because they provide an immense amount of shade. And so everything else will die if they don't, if they're, if they're sitting in the shade of those things. You ever planted a tree? You don't plant it in the middle of a forest, right? You plant it so it can, get, so it can grow, so it can have some sun, so it can get the nutrients that it needs. Our faith is exactly the same way. If you don't work your faith, if you don't put in... The time to grow, you're not going to grow. That's what that first parable, parable is about, the parable of the seed growing. But if you put in the work to grow spiritually, but then you also put in the work to grow in this way, then this thing starts overpowering your spirituality, doesn't it? And it, it depends on how many of these things you've got and how many, how many of them you love, how much, how well you love them. But if you love these things a whole lot and there's a whole lot of them, it starts overpowering your spirituality. And if you want some confirmation for that, go back through and look at the thorny soil. Check out what he says about the thorny soil. In Mark chapter 4, verse 17. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation... It's one of those things that crowds out your spirituality. Our persecution arises on account of the word. Immediately they fall away. Check out the thorns. Uh, and others are, sown, are the ones sown among the thorns. Those, they, are, they are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world. It's one of the things that Mark says can choke out our spirituality. The cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. Right? Is that a lie? Is what, money, is what money tells you a lie? Essentially it is, right? Because it's, 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 
what it teaches us is, the more you have of this, the happier you will be. I don't, I don't know about you guys. I don't think that's true. I find that the more of it I have, the more of it I want. Right? It's a lie. The deceitfulness of riches is one of the things that can crowd out my spirituality. And the desire for other things enter in and they choke out the word. And so this third parable that Mark tells us, this parable about the mustard seed, he says, if you plant it in good soil and you take away all the other distractions, what will happen to your faith? Man, it will grow like you've never seen it because you're putting in the work and God's putting, holding up his end of the deal and he's maturing you and transforming you into the image of God. But if you allow all this other stuff to hang out in your life, it shades your spiritual tree. And it starts choking it out, choking out the nutrients. And so we can't allow that. We have to start looking for ways to, to cut all this stuff out of our lives. And so maybe that's where you're at this morning. And you, you just don't know where to start. Well, if you've not been baptized, you're still holding on to your sin. And God's still holding you accountable for those things. So you need to get that off of your account. You need to, have your, you need to start with a clean slate, right? And so you, once you're baptized, he washes all those things away. And you start off with a brand new slate, fresh and clean in his eyes. That's what we all want, right? Maybe you've already made the decision. And you just kind of... Allowing a lot of that stuff to, to choke out your spirituality. It's really easy, especially in the midst of a difficult year, to allow that to choke out our faith. Maybe you need the prayers of this congregation to, 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 to become stronger, to, to focus, to put in the difficult work of growing spiritually. We want to aid you in any way we can. If you have any need, won't you come as we stand and sing? Yeah.
close out this morning, we'll sing hymn number 500, O Thou Fount of Every Blessing. We'll sing the first and last verse. And after that, Brother Blake Trevathan will do some prayer. <clears throat> Oh, thou fount of every blessing, to to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing, call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me ever to adore thee. God, thank you for this day and everything you've given us, and thank you for Jesus on the cross to forgive us of our sins, and thank you for Chris for bringing us the lesson today and help us grow our faith, and thank you for letting us all being able to come here today and learn more about you and help us go out and spread your word to everybody, and please be with all, be with us all during the holiday seasons and help us stay safe and also be together as families and friends and help us spread your word throughout everywhere. And thank you for all of our blessings. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.